today on the Global View podcast, I've uh, got the pleasure to welcome Kevin Streeter. And uh, Kevin is the vice president of Forge Rock University. Forge Rock is a uh, leader in identity and access management software solutions. And so uh, welcome, Kevin. Great. Great to be with you, Matt. Yeah, thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate it. How are you holding up with the uh, pandemic? Not sure. I've quite noticed it yet. We've been so busy, Forge Rock. It's, it's been full on. Everyone wants to do digital identity at the moment. So uh, the fact I haven't been able to go outside, it's like the uh, rest of the family's noticed, but it's it's just been so full on that uh, it's been very difficult to to actually get beyond just being busy all day. So, well, that's uh, good. That's a good thing. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a good place to be in, a good industry to be in at the moment. Absolutely. Yeah. We were talking a little bit before we started the recording and you were mentioning that and uh, uh, very fortunate to be in this space. Right. So uh, it's, it's awesome news. Absolutely. And it's like, who thought that everyone was going to need to be online at this, all at the same time? That's um, it. A lot of organizations had been thinking about, OK, do I need to get my business online? If I haven't, had, oh, I might do that in a year or two. Or how do I help my employees start working from home a bit more easily? And then suddenly everybody had to do it at once. Yeah. And first thing that comes up is how do I make sure that's secure? How do I make sure people have got access to the right resources? And it's just the, the funnel, just the, everything opened up and it's just been crazy ever since. So well, good. But well, here's the hoping. Great. Here's the hope in 2021 is a, is a busy year for us all, but also a year where we can once again get back outside and, uh, and meet with family and friends and, and colleagues and things like that. Because that's yeah. definitely something that I really miss. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's been a long time since I've been able to come meet anybody. And it's, I think it's probably at least two years since uh, we last got to meet. And it's like, I just can't get out. Can't that's do right. At a SEDMA event, I think that was. That's yeah. right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, well, the first question I had for you today, Kevin, was just uh, to maybe tell me a little bit about, you know, Forge Rock University and how the organization has evolved over the last few years. Well, Forge Rock started uh, 10 years ago. Well, we're just coming up for our 11th birthday. We actually came out of the um, takeover of some microsystems by Oracle uh, in 2010, where a lot of us in Forge Rock used to work for some microsystems and Oracle didn't take on the Sun Identity and Access Management product line. And uh, it was an open source product. So founders of Fortrop just sort of picked it up and started a new business. And that was five people 11 years ago. Yeah. Uh, we're just over 700 people now, global organization, pretty much every part of the world. And Fortrop University really got going about a year, 18 months into the company's founding. We literally started with a blank sheet of paper because We'd all come from another organization. We couldn't bring anything with us. So we had to start creating course materials. We had no tools. We had nothing. And uh, that's where I came in to sort of set up Ford Rock University and really create a, a global training organization that could represent the best of what Ford Rock does and, and get people to learn our products. Um, so it, it's an, it was unusual because I could go and find vendors that I really wanted to work with. Uh, but I could also pick up some of my my old contacts and make you take advantage of the the organisations we'd worked with before. I guess Gilmore and yourself fall, sort of fall into that that group of people that I know from the the Sundays, and we've, I've had a chance to put together a whole set of technologies so that 
we've gone from teaching one class, I think we were doing one class a month in the US at the beginning. We're now doing 10, 20 classes a week in multiple locations around the world um, with a big training partner network. But right at the core of it, I've been able to put a, a very consistent model where every student, doesn't matter who they go to for the training, all our partners, they get the same books, they get the same lab experience. Everybody gets the same learning from us wherever we go. And I think that's been something I've been really pleased with with Border University. It's everyone, I know the experience all our students get. And I know it's a high quality, really standardized, best of class uh, learning experience that everybody gets. Excellent. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, that, that took me probably three or four years to build all the components um, and get all the systems in place. And then the last, three years or so it's just been growth growth and more growth and uh, some days I think how, how do we get to the point where we've got training going on right way through India through whole of Asia um, right way around the US and Canada all at the same time and it's like that started from nothing and, uh, <laughs> it's got to be very we, rewarding yeah it, I'd sit back some days and just think that's been a really good business to grow and I can see this constantly growing. Now I'm starting to shift my attention to, okay, so how do we scale it from here and what do we do next? But it's been a great journey so far. That's awesome. That's great to hear. Yeah, I know you've, you've really experienced some pretty explosive growth. We've seen it certainly working with you over the last few years. So hoping to see that continue on into the future here. One of the questions yeah. I had, I mean, you've, had, you've got a ton of experience in the training and education space. And I, was, I wanted to get your perspective on some of the you know, emerging trends that you're seeing in customer and partner education, either within your organization or just in the industry in general. I guess uh, my, my experience goes back quite a long way now. It's like I was in sun education in the turn of the, the centuries. So, and it was all classroom-based. There was no remote learning. Very, very traditional classroom training. Over the years, we've sort of gone, it sort of started looking at sort of some, something's going online, something's doing a sort of mixed hybrid thing. And... Um, I guess the, the things that worked really well, what I've picked up is the hybrid classrooms is something that, that has worked really well, where you've got some instructors in the classroom, or you've got an instructor in the classroom, you've got students joining either in the classroom or remotely. We did that sort of shift five years ago. And it's become the norm for everybody now. And it's like people say, but how long did it take you to get into hybrid learning? And it was, well, um, it didn't take us very long. And we did it about five years ago. And it's been great because that's really helped fuel our growth over the years. So now I'm looking at sort of, okay, so where do we go? And a couple of things I picked up. One is that there's still a desire in the, in the high tech, new leading edge technology world for people to get their hands on. It's so important to get their hands on because it's like ourselves. We've just launched Fordrock Identity Cloud Platform. Cloud-based service for identity. What's the first thing everybody around the world is looking for is to get their hands on it. Where do you get that from? You get that from a training program. So even now, there's a, there's a constant need for hands-on training. 
But what's changing is the, the delivery of the, the instructional side of it. Some people want it really heavily customized to their environment. So that's the sort of the private training business where custom content and customizing it to a particular customer's requirements or environment is really important. But the more generic sort of the, the sort of basic get started training, everybody wants that in smaller chunks now. So we're now starting to go down the path rather than having a course book that is for a five day classroom course that everything's in there. Uh, actually, what we probably need is five one day courses. Mm-hmm. Each one is self-contained. So people can say, OK, today I'm going to sign this day to go and learn how to do this piece with Bulldog. Rock. And tomorrow I want to go and learn this thing over here. M- much more modular, still want the same depth of hands-on experience, um, still want the same quality of product um, and books and everything to go with the class, but much smaller pieces. Hmm. Um, I think some of the, the online platforms are getting very good at delivering video content very well. But what we're, we're really having to look at is how do you couple that with the, the lab experience and the depth of material you need to transfer? Because our standard sort of 700-page technical training course books, it's still going to break down into five 120-page books. It's still a lot of content to deliver. So that's where we're going, sort of looking at new delivery models, but more agile, more more broken down into easier bite-sized chunks, but still delivering the same depth of content. And uh, uh, I think that's that's really challenging a lot of people in in the industry. And uh, I think a lot of conferences have said, yeah, breaking down video content, great, we've got that. But now, how do you break down that hands-on bit as well? Right. Um, that's going to be a whole different challenge. So when 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 it comes to foundation level courses, you know the basic you know uh, basic level courses, do you think that one of the things we're seeing is you know a shift towards you know subscription-based learning platforms and more self-paced learning for some of that foundational type of learning as you get into the deeper learning and the certification level uh, stuff typically that still especially in a highly technical uh, product that that still requires you know an instructor and you know a class whether it's virtual or non-virtual whatever the case may be but do you sort of see you know a subscription type of a model sort of coming into play over the next you know year a couple of years uh, absolutely I, I think everything is moving towards subscription models I think there's been a maturity in just understanding what a subscription is because it's everywhere now. Um, all of the, the entertainment platforms are all subscriptions. We're used to it for cell phones. We're used, we're used to it for everything. The idea of what is a subscription, most people have got now. And they're getting the idea that yeah, video content, particularly introductory, should be on a subscription basis. The question I've always got is how far can you take that before you've really got to work out how how do you bring depth in? Mm-hmm. I spent four years working at the the Open University in the UK, which is they have two hundred an average of two hundred and fifty thousand concurrent students that they're delivering distance learning to with a lot of depth as well as a lot of video. 
and it's quite an interesting model they've got and it's sort of yeah trying to bring that into technical training world is going to be something i'm going to try and attempt to do over the next couple of years Interesting. Um, but it's all going to be in some form of subscription okay. because subscriptions are the way the way forward Awesome. That's great. Thanks, Kevin, for that. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, one of the questions I had, and I think we've kind of already covered it, was, you know, the virtual instructor-led and the move to that and how, you know, you've adjusted from a COVID standpoint to a complete disappearance, essentially, of live instructors. It sounds like that was really never a problem for you guys, though, because you were already (laughs) there, right? It's a question that I've been asked many times. It's been a question that's come up in so many industry groups and been interviewed by, by a number of uh, uh, analyst firms that say how did you manage to do that transition through covid so quickly and it was like it's because we didn't actually do a transition five years ago we moved to a completely hybrid model all we turned off was the classroom and we carried on teaching yeah um, my instructor pool is global. My master instructor's in Norway. I've got course developers in Australia, in the US, in Canada, in right the way across Europe. We never had a, an issue with it. Mm. So literally, we, we didn't miss a heartbeat when COVID happened. In fact, I kept mon- monitoring the, the, the class statistics every week with the whole team going, when are we going to notice something? And we went through... April, May, no, no, nothing changed. Then we got into the summer and thought it's going to, it's going to change now. Actually, we grew twenty five percent last year. Yeah, that's the that that was the <laughs> the funny thing. I remember being on a call with you back when uh, I think it was probably in April or May because I think everybody was concerned initially on that call. I remember I remember you guys talking about how you'd actually seen an increase yeah. in the number of students, which was obviously a pleasant surprise for everyone, right? Yeah. So uh, yeah, it was great. And- and it carried on all year. And actually, I think what we found was people have found time to engage with learning because they haven't been able to do other things. Yeah. And and actually, they, they've they used their time more wisely and said, actually, this is a really good year to learn. Let, let's go and do some of that learning that I should have been doing right the way across our, our customer community, our partners, our internal staff everyone's been doing more learning no it's been it's been really good unfortunate situation globally it's it's not what we would have wanted but actually we were in the right place already i would say i think this is the benefit of having really thought about the training business as i, as I said earlier that i thought about a global architecture of particularly learning technologies and platforms that would work on a, a global basis no matter what the situation was because in some parts of the world, um, certainly in India, most of Asia, people want to do face-to-face training. They, they like the personal contact. Yeah. You then go to, to some countries and they just want to do virtual. But you get full pockets. So good example we found. Actually, one country that has really surprised us has been Germany. Hmm. Um, there is no culture of distance learning. Of, to be trusted as as a an expert partaking your knowledge, you have to be in the room. Interesting. And it applies across universities, across in, anyone that's trying to deliver complex training. And there's just very little adoption of virtual learning. We've really struggled to get 
the hybrid model to work in Germany. But the rest of the world has been very comfortable with it. Yeah. So it's it's been very interesting to see how culturally you have to have capability to have learning in lots of different styles. And then you can actually ride some of these bumps. Um, right. And and you're you're well set up for them. And obviously, obviously the 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 vital source platform we've got with you and it's like every, everything was in place and it just worked. It just carried on working exactly as it was before. Yeah, excellent, excellent. So one of the things I do hear from customers is that while training, especially on the technology side, training has continued through the pandemic and that's been good. Uh, there a lot of organizations have cut their training budgets uh, because obviously they've been struggling. Not all industries have weathered the storm as well as the technology industry has weathered it. And a lot of these organizations, whether it's, you know, in finance or oil and gas or whatever the case may be, they all also have needs for uh, technology related training ultimately as we come out of the pandemic. And as budgets start to return back to normal, you know, once the pandemic is over, do you think that there's going to be a pent up demand for a training going forward? forward running maybe into late 2021 and as we move into 2022 i i do i think that there, there is there's a lot of I, I think we've we've seen a very significant cultural change it's changed how people work it's changed how technology is seen just look at the, the growth of people like zoom everybody i know now knows what zoom is right <laughs> Eight, 18 months ago I was the only person that even knew what it was. Yeah. Um, and sort of my social group was like, never, the idea of holding a meeting online, it was like, my wife does an online choir over Zoom. A year ago, that would have been unthinkable. I think we've seen a massive technology shift that it means everyone's going to want to engage with technology that's relevant for them. But just learning in general, it's been a great time for people to learn. We've all had to learn new skills, whether it's, learning to to manage when you can't go out and get groceries at a minute's notice. You've got to plan. You've got to learn new skills. So I think that massive shift is going to have a, a long-term impact on just learning that we're more open to, to taking on new skills. But it's also left a huge legacy of, sort of learning deficit that there's a lot of things people need to to learn and want to learn yeah hopefully we'll see that going forward and i think learning new skills is coming back as a, a subject people are willing to talk about because we've all had to do it i certainly have <laughs> that's for sure i've learned a lot through, through this and it's amazing how businesses have been able to pivot yeah. to make it pretty easy honestly to adjust right yeah. it was difficult at yeah. first but business really does uh, move quickly to, um, to change it was all there it was just untapped because uh, I remember in, in some oak systems, 20 years ago, we were doing, we were working from home, a very early stage technology, but um, we had flexible offices. Nobody, we didn't have fixed desks. Um, I used to be based in the London office where we, there were 400 people for about 60 desks. We were doing this type of thing. So actually for Fordrop as a company, it was just in our DNA. And literally, we all just went home and carried on. Yeah, the, the the infrastructure, everything was set up. I think a lot of organisations did know how to do this. Now they've actually realised that actually this is the way forward. There's a lot of rethinking there because I'm very close to to London, and uh, I think a lot of 
the financial world is just having to rethink everything they're doing. Um, and we're going to be all moving to a, a whole different way of working. I think I, I agree with you. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how that, uh, mm. what the impacts are on things like commercial real estate and things of that nature as, as large offices are sort of, uh, yeah. you know, maybe a thing of the past in some ways. But I think it's also highlighted the importance of when you do need to meet people. Yeah. You still need to have relationships with people. You still, it's just the setting might be slightly different. True. Um, True. So we're we're now trying to sort of, as a company, trying to think about what's, what's the new workplace going to look like for a company that's actually largely been built off working remotely. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be much more about bringing teams together. And it may be around doing training together. It may be around doing sort of, group activities together the, these are the social times when people come together and network and get to know each other and yeah. maybe, maybe learning's coming back into the center of everything interesting yeah that'll that, that that's a very interesting take you said you spent some time with open university and you know one of the things that we see with a lot of our technology customers is vocational training is becoming bigger and bigger and uh, they're trying to essentially grab students either early on through academy programs and universities yeah. or grab students when they're sort of making career transitions and shifting from maybe a non-technical background to more of a technical background. So you've kind of got an interesting perspective, I think, coming from that space or having experience in that space. Mm. You know, what do you see the role of vocational training and sort of the IT academy as being in, in the training space going forward and technology specifically? I've just spent my career actually work, working in both environments. So I started in academia, then I went to work for Sun Microsystems, and then I went back to academia, and then I've come to Portrop. And actually, it's a very supportive environment. There, there's some big conceptual things people need to learn. That's really well done by a traditional education. But you, you've also got to learn the, the, the practicalities of applying some of these things. That's where IT academies have come in really well. It's where technical training providers have come in. It, 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 the, the, there are two different things going on. There's conceptual and there's hands-on. Everybody can do a bit of both. And I think we're just constantly seeing the learning environment moving on. So what I took from the, the last four years at, at the OU before I came to Fordrop was the, the universities were trying to get into the vocational training space at exactly the same time that the vocational training organisations were trying to get into academic learning. Hmm. You need a good mix of theory and practice. Uh, but the the vendors like Fordrop, we're always going to be ahead on the hands-on because that's what we do. We're developing the software. Right. But we actually need to partner with the more traditional academic organisations, colleges, and to, to embed that in their learning so that we can move forward. Yeah. And it, it's that progression that everyone needs to engage with. The uh, technology that was leading edge for me 20 years ago was things like Java. Sun had created Java programming language. The only place you could get Java training was from Sun. It was the leading edge. Yeah. Now you can barely, you can't find a training organisation that doesn't have some form of introduction to draft to Java programming. But we've all moved on another twenty years worth 
and we're yeah. now dealing with new things. And I know that some of the technology we're teaching today in, in Fulltrot University will become the place of IT academies, universities, not us in 10 years time. Hmm, interesting. But we're already looking at how do we apply AI to things like identity. But that's come the other way. So the particularly in universities, a lot of work, really good work is being done about how do you apply artificial intelligence, machine learning to complex problems? Well, we've got a complex problem called how do you make sure people have got the right permissions for the applications they're using? Um, that used to be fairly small numbers. Now we're dealing with tens of millions of users. Uh-huh. You've got to apply some form of AI and machine learning to it. So we're pulling that in one direction. That's where we'll be in 10 years' time. Right. Um, so I see it as all a very, very combined ecosystem. But if you're in an organization that's not changing and not developing and not trying to move forward, you're probably going to become history. Yeah. And if you're thinking about, okay, so how do we move our our learning forward? Um, I do like going, I like going back to the Open University because when they started, all of their learning was done using TV broadcasts, um, hmm. radio broadcasts. Interesting. I did not know that. Interesting. Okay. And nobody believed that that could be used to teach. Um, <laughs> academic qualifications it it was actually the they nearly didn't get started because nobody believed that that could deliver quality higher education today 50 years on they're using they're actually using vital source they're using video they're using very complex websites they use nothing like it started yeah all of those technologies have all come from the commercial training world. Right. Um, so it's it's one big ecosystem. Um, and that's what I'm always looking for as well. It's like we need to move forward, but we also need to help all the other training organizations learn how to do what we're doing. Yeah. Um, because we're going to need them in the future. Um, we need the vocational experts to be developed so that we can move forward. Interesting. Yeah. So one of the interesting things actually that you mentioned there when you're talking about AI specifically is, so, you know, you're incorporating uh, AI is beginning to become an important part of the products that ForgeRock is building. And there are organizations out there that are, you know, teaching, you know, courses in AI and things of that nature. And I'm curious about, you know, merging, you know, or curation of content, I guess, in some ways Mm -hmm. that's unrelated to your core products, but that is complementary to your products. Is that something that, you know, you think about in terms of, you know, how do we start to roll in other complementary types of training into our own offerings and and how do we combine those in a, in a way that is elegant for the student to consume? And I think this is one of those destinations we're heading towards in the future is you, you can't live in isolation. Um, the technology world is moving too fast now that I'm dependent on a whole range of other providers. Uh, so for example, our, our cloud platform is entirely built on and the Google Cloud Platform and Kubernetes. Hmm. So all of my students now need to learn 
these technologies before they can use um, what Fordrock's created. But actually, that's not content that we're experts in. So actually, we need to work with the AWSs, Microsofts, Googles, so on, to help understand our students need to understand their technologies. So I think that there's going to be a lot more information sharing, course sharing, community of learning, where we're all dependent upon each other for success. And hmm. um, I think accessing content that supports the curriculum is going to become increasingly important for organizations because I look at the work we're doing with in the AI space, as you, as you say, Matt, and that's all based on a number of projects from other vendors. But the classes we're going to build are going to be dependent upon students knowing those technologies. But actually, again, it's just an evolution because all of our previous products were dependent on people knowing Solaris or Linux or Windows. Or we don't talk about that anymore. We now say you've got to know Azure or right. Google Cloud or AWS. It's the same problem, but yeah, we need to have access to more content and the curation of it is becoming the the core skill. Um, and in fact, there's a book I was reading last year, which was just on curation is, is the 21st century skill. Um, we need to learn how to be really good at create, curating content that's relevant for us right. and being able to do it in multiple domains. One of the other things that is really important when it comes to training is uh, is student engagement and and <laughs> keeping students engaged yeah. in courses. And I know that that's something that you uh, are are really heavily involved with at Forge Rock and have been for some time. Uh, in fact, you wrote an article about that uh, and how to keep students engaged. So just talk a little bit about that. About how you know what are you, what are you doing to to keep students engaged and to keep wanting to learn. Yeah, this is something I got onto a couple of years ago, and I was thinking, well, why is it that students normally turn up, they do one course, and then we don't see them again? Um, I've got all these nicely laid out curriculum pathways and lots of different learning opportunities, and what's missing? And it actually it took me into the world of digital credentialing, sort of digital badges, because one of the things people are looking for is to these days is um, recognition, but also feedback, but not six months after a course. They want it immediately. So something that we put in place was uh, as soon as you finish a course, you get a, a digital badge for attendance. But part of issuing that badge is that you then get recommendations about what's your next course, what other what other things should be you be thinking about. Should we be recommending going and learning about something from a, another vendor um, that will help you your next step? Yeah. So it, it's that combination of um, providing some immediate feedback and recognition that yes, you've you've done some learning. It was high value learning, and that you can get some recognition from your peers for having done that. Yeah. It counts towards something that might be a bigger goal of yours. So working through a certification path for us, for example, or um, we've, we've got a whole program for our partners that leads through to accredited consultant. How do you get to an accredited consultant? Well, you do this badge and then this badge and this badge. And when you get to that top badge, you can really make some noise about that because you've, you've now achieved something that's got real status right. in, in the full drop technical community. 
So sort of laying out that progression as you go, we, we sort of, particularly in technical training world, we forgot to tell our learners how to progress uh-huh. in styles that actually work for them. Right. Um, the, the, the old days of having a training catalogue with nice laid out course paths doesn't exist anymore. People don't know what to do next unless it's put in front of them. Yeah. Uh, so I think that combination of continuous reward and recognition but also continuous guidance together really helps people encourage the the engagement with learning with the learning process and certainly for us it's it's helped us increase the number of people that are working their way right the way through learning paths Hmm. um, significantly so we just say do you at the beginning of the learning process we just say do you want to do this learning path or this learning path and you say, right, I'm going I'm to select this one. We then provide a portal that shows them their pathway in terms of how many badges have they completed, yep. which optional badges at each stage. And then we give them a nice dashboard at the top that says you've done six out of 12 steps and you've started now introducing a bit of that gamification into it. Right, right, which is effective, yeah. And it's it's very simple, it's very subtle, but it's effective. And... People then say, well, you, the way we do it is we say, okay, you've got six out of 12 badges in order to do your core curriculum. But actually, did you know there's 18 badges that you could collect if you want the whole set yeah. that's relevant? And you suddenly find that everyone's now going off trying to do the whole 18 because they they want to get the full set. Yeah, that's right. So that, And with very little effort, we've sort of stopped talking about learning paths and individual courses when you're saying, how are you progressing on the AM path? What achievements have you reached so far? Oh, you're somebody who's got the full set of of badges. Great. Well done. You're totally different language now, but it's really engaged the learners. Um, And it's driving a, a much greater uptake of, of just continual progression through learning. Um, but actually, this came this came from the academic world. Hmm. Why would you start doing a, well, back to the university, um, a, a bachelor's degree typically takes seven years because you're studying it part-time online and you do it module by module and you get a recognition at the end of Every time you finish two modules, you get a certificate or a diploma. Or, um, it's the same reward and recognition model. Yeah, guiding you through a pathway. Why don't we bring that into into commercial training? That's where it came from, and it's really helped grow. And it, it's now meant that I now talk to to a number of academics. That go, that's really clever stuff that you've done. And I, went, and I, I just go, well, I borrowed it from the academic community. Right. <laughs> I never really believed that badging worked that well. And then, what the, you know, I had, I've had recent experience with this because I got, and this is a totally, it's a totally different uh, application, but I got a uh, an Apple Watch for Christmas, actually. And so it's got, you know, the, the fitness tracking on it and it tracks your activity yep. and how much you're standing and all this kind of stuff. And there's just something about every day just being reminded, you know, that, uh, you know, have you achieved this today? Have you achieved that? And you just, as you go along, you, you know, if you do seven days in a row, you get a little badge. 
and something feels good about it. So I can see how that yeah. can, can keep you coming back and yeah. coming back for more, right? It's like you said, that gamification yeah. and yeah. just sort of enticing people to want to keep on following along the path. Because yeah. sometimes the big goal at the end is so far away that it's hard to continue to chase it and stay motivated. But if you've got the little the little pieces that keep you going, yeah. ultimately you end up in the same place, but it really keeps you motivated to keep yeah. achieving. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and it, it's... It, it's engaging the learner and helping them want to learn. Um, yeah. And it, it, it goes back to all the ideas about lifelong learning. And I think the technical training world particularly got very lost in the standardized solid big book that yeah. you had to teach in five days in the classroom. And actually we lost the fact we're trying to encourage people to continuously learn across a whole range of technologies, across a whole range of media. Um, it's about learning far more than it is about the individual point product. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and if you want to learn, you can keep learning. Well, and especially nowadays. That's success. Yeah. yeah, especially now with, with products changing as rapidly as they are, right? I mean, you, you achieve a certification, you know the product inside out. Well, in a year from now, you may not know the product inside out unless you're working with it every yeah. day, right? So you yeah. do have to have that continual learning type yeah. of a culture, really, and, and thought process. Yeah. Okay, well, I mean, that's all the questions I had related to learning to, today for you, Kevin. I do, I do like to do, I introduced this on the last uh, podcast I did, and I like to, you know, have a little, bit of a lightning round, I call it, where I sort of sort of ask some questions to get to know, you know, Kevin Streeter a little bit better. The first question I had on the lightning round was, uh, yeah. you, you know, you travel quite extensively when it's not a, a global pandemic uh, for your yeah. work, so. What's uh, what's your favorite city uh, to visit that you've? I know that I, I think you call London or the area around London home, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, 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 let's say I, globally, the the two cities that always stand out. Sydney was one. Okay. Um, but actually, my favorite city of all is Boston. Really? Okay, interesting. Why is that? Um, Sun used to have an engineering center there that I used to go to frequently. And the seafood in Boston is just amazing. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's right. It's like, so I would, my wife and I, uh, a few years ago, went, went on a, um, very fortunate to go on the cruise on the QE2 just before it came out. Oh, nice. And we stopped off at, in Boston. And I said, there's only one thing we've got to do. I've, we've got to go and find some really good Boston seafood, legal seafood. And there's like, I've spent so many hours in that place. Well, I think I may, I may, we may have already answered the second question. I don't know. Uh, you let me know. I was going to ask what your favorite kind of food is. What you, you know, if there's any ethnicity or type of food that you that you love more than any other. It's it's quite simply it's traditional English. Okay. Um, it's, it's, what what it's, is traditional it's, English? What what do you what, what would be a traditional uh, English meal? Sunday roast, roast beef. Yeah. Um, roast beef, roast pork. Uh, I spend my weekends trying to perfect my roast my roast beef recipes, and yeah, I've got a smoker out in the garden. I've been learning how to smoke. Oh, yeah, really nice food. Excellent. And, um, so, but yeah, the, those sorts of cuisines. But yeah, yeah, it sort of goes along with seafood as well. 
Excellent. Yeah, that's good. That's good. No, Sunday roast is, is, is fantastic. And smokers are becoming so popular. I think with people staying at home and wanting to cook themselves, I, I think smoker sales are through the roof. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's fantastic. Let's see. What's another one? Well, so what, what is something that you've been doing through the pandemic that's helped you keep your sanity? Is there anything in, in, in specific that you've done that sort of let you stay sane through this, this whole thing? Um. Yeah, one one of it is smoke the, the smoker in the garden. The other is gardening, which has just shocked my wife. Uh, that's a great new hobby then. Hopefully that'll continue uh, once the world returns to normal. Yeah, I've sort of made uh, in one of the the online groups I've been part of. I just I said uh, uh, it was the end of the first lockdown in the UK, and uh, they said, "What are you going to carry on with post lockdown?" So. Well, it's going to be continuing to do the, the raised bed and the vegetables and gardening. And and I've sort of made a public commitment now that I'm going to carry on doing it. So now I've got to do it. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> you'll have a fantastic garden. That's great. Well, listen, Kevin, That's uh, I think that's all I had for you today. I really, really appreciate you uh, yeah. you spending the time with, uh, with us on the Global View podcast. And uh, you've been a great guest, a lot of great insights. And... Uh, uh, really appreciate your time. No, it's been a pleasure, Matt. It's, uh, it's been great to do this. And uh, yeah, always enjoy having a conversation with you and uh, look forward to, to meeting you again. Awesome. Thanks very much. Appreciate it.